Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're continuing our series on the vision of the church, what the church is to be, and the way we're getting at that is by examining various myths that people have about the church. And as we're turning to this passage, I, I, I want to start with, with a question. First a statement, then a question. The statement is this. There's nothing incompatible with being full and satisfied in Jesus Christ. Just having the fullness of His joy and peace inside of you, but also at the same time being profoundly hungry for Him. The fullness that the Lord brings into our life is the kind of fullness that actually creates its own hunger. Which leads to my question that I want us to be chewing on here as we're reading this passage and then going into the Word. And the question is this. Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for Jesus Christ? Hungry to see Him do more? To see His glory displayed more? To see Him doing more in people's lives and maybe doing more in your own life? I want you just to take that question and, and let it lodge in, in your, your uh, heart. Or have you become satisfied in the wrong way? Are you in a coasting, lukewarm kind of mode? Just ask the question honestly and ask the Lord to begin to address it through this word. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Paul says, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Just note there that Paul sees his ministry and the ministry of Apollos, and it's true of all ministries, that, that it's an opportunity. When we sacrificially do ministry for the Lord, we're really the ones that get blessed. It's an opportunity on our, on our part. It's really the highest privilege that God lets us work with Him to build the kingdom. So Paul says, as God gave us the opportunity, you believed on Him through us. Now look at this. I planted, and Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Or it could be in Greek, God was giving the increase. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. What, what Paul is doing here is he's, he's using an agricultural model, and, and he's really saying this, that uh, you need to have someone who plants and you need to have someone who waters. But if you don't have the Creator creating the miracle of life, causing this to grow, then nothing's going to happen. The one who gets the credit for the growth is God. Our job is to plant and to water. Now, he who plants, Paul says, and he who waters are one. They have one purpose, but they have different ministries. So, Paul says, each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, according to his own distinctive calling, according to his own distinct job, whether it's planting or watering. God rewards their labor. But now, note this. God doesn't reward the increase. He doesn't reward on the basis of growth. He never rewards on the basis of productivity. Why? Because that all goes to his credit. He gives the growth. What Paul hopes to get rewarded for, and what Apollos hopes to get rewarded for, is their labor. Whether it produces anything or not is pretty inconsequential. That goes back to God. 
So then Paul says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. I, I need a, about, and I'm, I'm really feeling, I felt all morning, in fact, felt last night, an intensity about prayer covering this for whatever reasons. In fact, I didn't sleep much at all last night. The Lord was just uh, heavy on my heart on the need to, to be involved in intercessory prayer for this particular message, and I don't even really know why, but, but I just know to obey. So I need about 40 people on this, on this third of the room to be praying for me. Will you lift up your hands if you'll be an intercessor? Be praying to keep out any kind of flack that the enemy, enemy might bring. Uh, to, to keep us from hearing the word. Okay, in the middle, I need about 50 people. I'm looking for a good prayer covering here. That looks good, wonderful. Over here, about another 30, 40 people. Okay, praise God. Just be covering uh, me in prayer that the word would be heard. The, you know, the word can go forth straight, but if the Lord isn't cultiva- cultivating our uh, hearts, if there's uh, ground that's hardened, it just doesn't find rooting and it doesn't do us any good. Uh, we really need the Lord to be present here, and that, that happens through prayer. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the people here who just uh, d- volunteered to be uh, intercessors on behalf of this message. And so, Lord, we want to leverage our authority as kingdom people to come against the kingdom of darkness and collapse any assignment that might be there uh, to interfere with this service, to keep the word from going forth straight or keep it from being heard. Lord, our heart is to have you build your kingdom in our mind and our heart. And, Lord, we can't do that with words, and we can't do that with music. It's not by our might. It's not by our power. It's not by our speeches. It's not by our wisdom. But it's by your Spirit, says the Lord, that mountains are removed. And so, Lord, we look to your Spirit here. Holy Spirit, just be sovereign here to move mountains of unbelief and mountains of comfort and convenience and self-sufficiency and any other kind of lie that's in our life, Lord. Remove them by your Spirit. Have your way here, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. 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 I'm talking about myth number six uh, today. And this is the myth that the success of a church is measured by its size. The success of a church is measured by its size. It's a very common conception and maybe it's almost inevitable given the way our culture operates that people would think this. The assumption that is this, is if the church is really growing fast, then you're doing something right, and if the church isn't growing fast, you're doing something wrong. The assumption is that if you've got a big church, then, then, then God's really with you, but if you've got a small church, then God's not really with you. And the idea percolates over into our own lives, uh, individually. The assumption is that somebody who really is doing stuff that you can see is uh, resulting in things, they're really, you know, uh, heroes of faith, but for the person who doesn't have anything to show for it, and there isn't a lot of increase in terms of them bringing people to the Lord or whatever, then, then they're not heroes of the faith. You see, in a worldly mindset, in, in a normal way of thinking about things, the carnal mindset, we always judge things based on, based on output. A business is successful if, it, if it's very productive. And that's normal for businesses. We expect that of businesses. You better think that way if you're in a business. You're going to kind of not be in a business very long if you don't think that way. Okay? You, you, you judge success on the basis of productivity and, and how is your budget doing and are you employing, employing more people and, and is your stock going up. And if you're not employing more people, if you're laying off people and, and, and your inventory is not being moved and your productivity is not very high and your stock market's going down, then you're not being successful and before long you're going to be out of business. It's normal to think that way uh, in, in, in worldly terms about worldly things. 
But it's not right or appropriate to think that way about the church. The, the Lord has an entirely different criteria for evaluating what is successful and what is not. And, and we really need to pay, pay attention to this because it, it has some important implications for us as a church and for us uh, uh, individually. Uh, I first want us to just notice this, that size itself, volume itself, is no indication of godliness. Uh, IBM and 3M and other major companies, Microsoft, whatever, they got big, they got a lot of volume, they got a lot of money, but that doesn't mean that God's on their side. You can get big just by having a good product, having the right social situation, having a good campaign, and doing a lot of hard work. That, you can get big that way. That's how, in fact, you do get big in businesses. It's also how you can get big in religion. Mormons have done a lot of good things, and I don't want to be insulting towards Mormons, but I, I think their teaching is just pretty out of kilter for what, 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 what Scripture teaches. And I don't see their size and their growth as being an indication that God's really been moving in them. Uh, but they have grown a whole lot. They're always one of the fastest-growing religions in America. It's because they've got a lot of hard work. They've got people who donate two years of their life at the age of 18 to 20 or so to, to go knocking door on door to spreading their gospel. You get that kind of work. They've got a really good campaign. Uh, they, they, they win the, the religious awards in terms of commercials, don't they? They just tug on your heart. You get those things together and you're going to grow. It doesn't mean that, 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 that it's a sign of the Holy Spirit at all. you just got a lot of hard work and a good campaign. The Unification Church, Sun Young Moon's uh, deal, um, has grown a lot, up to about four or five million people. But it doesn't mean that God's on his side. They just have got a lot of hard work, a good campaign, and they're saying some things that people want to hear. A lot of New Age teachers today, uh, you find them in Hollywood all over the place. Um, very popular. They're channeling spirits, Ramtha and all this stuff, and they got Hollywood stars following them, and they got big, they're selling lots of books, and, and there's new age gurus out there that are just really getting a popular following, but does that mean that they're doing something right for God? No. It just means that they're saying what people want to hear, and they've got a good campaign, and maybe they're willing to work really hard, and, 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 and on and on and on. Size is not an indication of uh, godliness. Islam was uh, the fastest growing religion in the 6th and 7th and 8th centuries, and it's still a fast growing religion, but it doesn't mean that God's on their side. They just had the right social situation, the right campaign, uh, product that they want to put out there about Allah, and a lot of hard work, and, and that's how it grows. The Ku Klux Klan grew from about 5 people to 5 million people in about 50 years, not because God was on their side, maybe because the devil was on their side, but they tapped into a social situation where there's a lot of racism, and they, they use that. And, and when you're saying stuff that people want to hear, uh, then, 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 then things grow. Size is not, there's nothing ungodly about size. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that if you do grow big, it's because you're of the devil. No. I'm just saying that it's not an indication that, that you're doing anything that really is of God. It rather is inconsequ inconsequential. God never measures success by outcome, by productivity. In fact, if you look at some of the greatest saints of the Bible, in fact, if you look at most of the greatest saints of the Bible, their measurable productivity was very, very low. It wasn't like Abraham had a great following when he died, or Elijah, or Elisha, or Gideon. Uh, these are people that, that, in terms of measurable productivity, in terms of doing things that people could see that were for the kingdom of God, well, their lives would have, would have been total failures. Abraham lived his whole life never having seen the, the promise. Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Hosea, Amos, 
all the prophets, most of them, had no following whatsoever. But they're heroes of faith. Why? Because they did what God called them to do. And the only criteria that the Lord cares about in terms of whether you're a success for the kingdom of God is this. Did you labor in the way that God told you to labor? Were your hands to the plow? What God does with it is His business. You're not to be concerned with it. Your job is to ask the question, are you walking with God? Are you passionate about God? Are you doing the work of God? The Apostle Paul in his lifetime, we, we, we look back on him and we see him a hero of the faith, but actually in his lifetime, he, he wouldn't have had anything to brag about. In a lot of cities, he struck out. He wouldn't have been the, the, the church planter's hero in his day. He, a lot of cities, he didn't get a single soul saved. And even in the cities that were successful, there was maybe a couple of hundred people in cities of a, of a number of thousand people that actually were believers. Not exactly home run hitters. But Paul was a hero of faith. Why? Because he did what the Lord told him to do. And even Jesus, uh, the ministry of Jesus. Uh, there was a time in Jesus' life where, where he was real popular. Early on in his ministry, when people found out about the miracles, the masses came. Why? Because the masses will always come when you're giving them what they want. And, and he's so like, hey, we can get a free healing here. We can, you know, see some cool religious stuff. Everybody likes a good religious show. And so there was crowds following Jesus, and I can just picture, you know, certain church planters or church uh, analyzers who are, who are using worldly criteria, thinking to themselves, whoa, we got a winner here. This guy can preach. He can get the crowds, man. He, he's got a really uh, a good, good program. It's really slick. I mean, the, 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 we're going to have the largest synagogue in the land. We keep this up. We've got to ride the coattails of this guy because he's really a winner. And then Jesus starts saying some hard truths about the kingdom of God. Like, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to seek first the kingdom of God. Don't, you know, make sure you count the cost. Anyone who puts their hands on the plow and looks back is not worthy of me. And he, started, he stops being uh, the, the product seller. He stops being as seeker sensitive as he might be. And I can just, you know, see the church planters uh, uh, thrown on their face as the crowds start to leave him. And it says, it says in John 6 that everyone started to like, I'm, I'm moving on to the next show in town because this guy's a bummer. Oh, we thought, you know, he was funny at first, but now he's just kind of like, uh, there's a better show in town. And they all leave him. And I can just see the church planners going, oh, rats, we blew it. I mean, uh, ah, you should have stuck with the program. The, the miracles, the carnival stuff was really good. You know, can't you just keep on doing that? Instead, you've got to start talking this hard truth. But see, here's the deal. Jesus wasn't more godly when he had a crowd following him than he was when he didn't have a crowd following him. Because success isn't measured by crowds. Success isn't measured by popularity. Success isn't measured by productivity. Success is measured by the passion of your labor before God. What God does with it is his business. Praise God. In fact, Jesus in his lifetime, you'd have to come to the assessment that he was really a failure because he ends up getting himself crucified by the very crowds he used to impress. He's got 12 scared disciples and a couple other handfuls of people to his name, and, and he was supposed to take over the world. But uh, uh, he, that would be by the world's standards just an absolute failure in terms of church planning. But Jesus Christ, of course, was a success. 
Uh, why? Because he walked with God. He did the work of God. He did what God told him to do. The, 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 the measurement of success is not outside of the person. It's not what happens with what the person does. It's whether the person simply does it in obedience to God with passion. The measurement of success has to do with the sacrifice of the heart. Jesus got this point home so profoundly uh, when he made this observation in the synagogue in, in Luke chapter 21. This is that story about the widow's two coins. Jesus looked up and he saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. They took up offerings in the synagogue in those days. No, he doesn't say that was bad. Thank God, rich people put uh, gifts in the treasury. But he also saw a poor widow put in two copper coins. These are the smallest units of, uh, these are the equivalent of a penny in our day, the smallest uh, economic unit. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of these rich people. In fact, the, the Greek has the connotation of all of them put together. Okay, she, she gave more. Why? For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. All right? This was just sort of extra stuff. Uh, this was superfluous money for them. It was kind of just the extra stuff. But she gave out of, the, the, she out of, the, out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. See, by worldly standards, you'd look and, and, and you'd say, whoa, that person put in $10, or that person put in $10,000, or that person put in a million dollars. You'd be wowed by that. But God looks on the heart and says, wow, that lady put in all that she had. You see, God measures success not by the quantity. That's how the world does it. He measures success by the intensity of the sacrifice that is made, by the obedience of the person being made. And what we need to know is this. God builds his kingdom. Thank God. I thank God there are people who just have a gift. I don't have it. Uh, most of us don't have it, but there are people who, are, who have a gift for making money. Praise God for that. And God uses them as they're obedient to build the kingdom of God. Uh, but you also got to know this. While some can maybe put in $2,000 in an offering, if you've got two pennies and that's all you've got to give, you've got to know that from God's perspective, uh, you're more of a hero of, of faith than the person who puts in $2,000. And that that sacrifice and that, that, that giving to God out of uh, the depths of your heart does as much, if not more, to build the kingdom of God as any quantity that a person could ever give. God does not measure things the way the world does. He measures things on the inside. It's so interesting to me, but, but it, it, you read Revelations chapter 2 and 3. The Lord confronts seven churches in Asia Minor. And, and they've all got things that are going wrong. They've been in existence about 40 or 50 years now. And, and the Lord has a prophetic, confronting word to say to them. Of none of them does He say, I have this against you. You haven't grown much. None of them does he say, uh, you're not big enough. You know, you're not, you're not uh, producing enough. What the Lord says to each one of them is rather things like this. What happened to your first love? Where's the passion? Where's the commitment? What he says to them is things like this. You've just gotten soft, you've gotten mediocre, you've gotten carnal, you're, you're just uh, light on sin, you've stopped, you've, you, you've stopped being willing to offend people, and you've gotten sort of protectionist in, in your stance, and you've gotten mediocre in, in your walk. 
What happened? Do you remember how on fire you used to be, the Lord is saying to these seven churches? Do you remember how passionate you used to be? Do you remember how excited you used to get when someone would come to the Lord? Do you remember how excited you used to get by being used of God in any capacity? Do you remember your first love? Do you remember how you used to sense the Spirit of God? Do you remember the power that you used to sense in services? But now you're just doing a religious thing. Now you're just sort of in the middle of the road. Now you're just doing the status quo deal. Now you're just being decent people. What happened to the radical edge? What happened to that bite that was in in your walk with God? What happened to that hunger that was there in, in your walk with God? And what it tells me is this. What we need to be concerned with as a church and what we need to be concerned with individually is this. It has nothing to do with numbers. It's got nothing to do with budget. It's got nothing to do with productivity. It's got nothing to do with output. It's got to be this. Where are we at with our passion? Amen. Do we still have the fire? Do we still have the gumption? Do we still have the hunger? Are we still on our knees? Are we still laboring for God? Are we growing in that? Are we maturing in the Lord? Are we doing what God tells us to do? What he rewards is the labor of the heart. What he does with the labor is his business. We leave it alone. You want to give an increase, give an increase. You don't, we're going to be happy just doing what you have commanded us to do. Yeah, I want to impact. I want to impact as much as possible. I want to, I want to take over the Twin Cities. I do. For G, in Jesus, we're going to, in fact, uh, in, in Jesus Christ. I, I, that's right. Sooner or later, I want to have as big an impact as possible. But if it's not here, then I want to see it in that church and in that church and that church. What I want to see is Jesus Christ glorified throughout the land. And, and I, I want to be us to do all that we can do, but I know this. Our job is not to worry about the increase. Our job is not to worry about the productivity. How are the numbers doing today? Uh, our job is to always be asking the one question. Are we obedient to the Lord? And are we passionate in getting involved in the work of the Lord? And are we, uh, uh, are we still keeping the fire going? Or have we got lukewarm? Have we got lackadaisical? Have we got lethargic? Are we just doing the religious attendance game? The churchianity sort of thing. Lord, we, we need you to help us to stay faithful and to stay, to stay uh, solid in our commitment to you. I get asked quite a bit by different people who are starting churches to give, me a for, to give them a formula, to give them some advice. You know, how do you grow a church? You know, how do you make it big? You know, give us the three steps to getting 5,000 people in 10 years. Come on, just, just give it to us. And I always say three things, and it's never what they want to hear. I say, number one, be real. Just be real. Don't be religious. Just be real. And don't borrow my vision. Don't borrow Bill Heibel's vision. Don't borrow Dave Johnson's vision. You get your own vision. You know, get a life. Uh, uh, find out what God wants you to do. Find out what niche you're supposed to play. And maybe it's saving three people, or maybe it's saving 30,000 people. It doesn't matter. Find the niche. And when you find that niche and be real with it, don't try to be something you're not. Then number two, be passionate about it. Pour your whole self into it. That's where your reward's going to come. Be passionate about that. If it's three, pour yourself as passionately as, it was, as if it was three million. If it's three million, you treat it like it was three. It doesn't make any difference. That's God's job to give the increase. Which leads to the third point I always tell them, and that is this. Ignore results. Just ignore the results. Your job is to plant the seeds, not to be the dirt. Okay? God's got to give the increase. It may go up, it may go down, it may go around in circles. In fact, it'll probably be, do all those things. Masses are, are fickle. They're here today, they're gone tomorrow. A new show in town, they leave or whatever. You know what? You just got to ignore that. Your job is simply to be obedient. If you live by the numbers, you'll die by the numbers. Forget the numbers. Just work for God. And let Him take care of all the rest. It's the most freeing thing you can ever do starting a church. 
It's also freeing in your own life. Obey God and don't worry about who's impressed or who's not impressed. That's about as inconsequential as anything could be. When we get wrong-headed in terms of how we measure success in our own life or measure it in the church, weird things start to happen. Weird stuff starts to happen. Three things here. Number one, when, when, when you, when you uh, get a worldly criteria of success and think it's about numbers or budget or whatever, you start, first of all, indicting the small. You start indicting the small. You start actually looking down on, on the widow who can only give two, two copper coins. And you start being really impressed with the person who can you know, give a whole bunch of money. And this is not a kingdom value kind of thing to do. You start being impressed with big churches and you start looking down on small churches. And sometimes small church pastors start looking down on themselves. Talked to a pastor last night who was in our service. He drives up here every Saturday, every Saturday night, about an hour and a half from Rochester to get fed so he can go back to his own congregation with a little bit of fire. And he was so indicted because of, uh, uh, for seven years, he's been pastoring in this little church and he's got 50 people and they haven't grown at all, but he labors and he labors for the Lord and he labors for the Lord. And it was so freeing for him to find out, you know what? You let God take care of the numbers. You just worry about laboring before the Lord. But what happens is you begin to think that there's something wrong with small and there's something great with, with big, when in fact it's just different niches that God wants people to play. There's a church here in, 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 uh, uh, in, in St. Paul that has the basic vision, a church of about 40 or 50 people. Their vision is to get a storefront store where they can offer clothing for a dollar because there's a lot of people in this neighborhood, increasing number of people in this neighborhood, who are having trouble affording clothes. See, and what a wonderful vision that is. What a great vision that is. What a great niche in the kingdom of God that is. And see, if you're obeying the vision of God, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're 40 or 40,000. You're doing what God calls you to do. And it may be the case, in fact, that that little church of 40 doing their little storefront deal has got a greater reward than a church that's got 4,000 or 40,000 people attending it because God doesn't reward the productivity. God rewards the labor to the productivity. You might put it like this. God always grades on the basis of effort. Praise God. Not in terms of what you actually achieved. Secondly, when you get a worldly criteria of success, you always get a worldly methodology to achieving that success. Always happens. So what happens is, is, is churches, they, 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 they make a decision. Okay, we want to be this big. I, I, I've seen this happen all over the place. Uh, they go into a Woodbury and they say, okay, our goal, here's our goal, is to have 10,000 this is what a pastor said a couple of years ago. We're going to have 10,000 in 10 years. 10,000 in 10 years. And then here's our strategy, that we're going to do this and that and the other thing to get that 10,000 in 10 years. And then they say, God, will you just bless our plans? Not the right order of things at all. Totally measuring things on the basis of productivity. And um, see, then what happens is that you, you begin to over-strategize. You're running it like an IBM company, and it's, it's appropriate to do IBM and Microsoft this way. What's our target goal? What's our budget range? How are we going to get there? That's great when you're running a company. It's terrible when you're running a church. Uh, how are we going to get there? You start, you start uh, developing a slick program, a good-looking program, a nice-sounding program. You start tailoring what you say and how you say it to make sure that you don't offend anybody. You, know? you start turning into the church of Laodicea because you don't want to say anything too radical, too distinctive. You become a mishmash, middle-of-the-road, uh, sort of a, a mediocre religious deal instead of the radical countercultural kingdom that Jesus Christ has called you to be. It's not the gospel that the Lord calls us to. You look at the early church. 
The early church, how, they, how did they do it? What was their strategy? Give us your church planning advice, early church. You read about it in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Here's what they did. Number one, they obeyed the Lord. It's that simple. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem, and they stayed in Jerusalem. You wait, they waited. Biting at the bit, no doubt, to get started, because Jesus said, you know what, I, here's what I want for you, is to go out into all the world and really to take back the world for, for, for my Father. So no doubt, you know, that's a pretty heavy call, and so they're thinking, we've got to start planning for this, we, we, we better start strategizing for this. You know, Peter, you take care of the PR department, James, why don't you run the, the, the family department? No doubt they want to do a lot of planning, but instead the Lord says, just wait. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? Just wait. But I've got to fix my marriage. Will you just chill? But what about my kid? Just chill. Yeah, but what about this, that? What about that relationship? What about my finances? Sometimes the Lord says, wait on me. So the Lord commanded them and they obeyed. That's a labor for the kingdom. Number two, they had faith. They trusted the Lord. The Lord says, you know what? If you just wait, I'm going to send you power from on high. I'll send you power from on high. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And they didn't know what that was going to look like. They had never seen that before. Sometimes we're so afraid of, uh, of actually experiencing something new. You know, we have a nice little box, a nice little tradition, a nice little ways of doing things. And by definition, anything, any thought, any, any phenomenon that doesn't fall into our box must be wrong. Thank the Lord, they didn't have that idea. They trusted God. They said, God, you just do whatever you want to do. We're going to obey uh, whatever you call us to do, we're going to obey. They obeyed and they trusted. Number three, so important, they prayed. Oh, they prayed. They were intercessors. It says, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. They had 40 days here, and they just waited on God, and they prayed, Lord, have your way here. They didn't pray, Lord, our target is to get 3,000 people, uh, and here's our marketing strategy. Would you please bless this? No. They didn't have that. They just said, Lord, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, whatever it's going to look like, have your way. No, oh, what a prayer for us to pray. Lord, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, whatever it's going to look like, have your way. Lord, whatever you want to do, however it's going to look like, Lord, have your way. Do it, Lord God, have your way. We're open to you, Lord, have your way. Whatever it looks like, have your way. However big, have your way. However small, have your way. But have your way. And the trust that God will, in fact, honor that prayer. What a prayer. Fourth, they were united. There was no lone rangers in the early church. They were all together in one place and in one accord, it says in chapter 2. Praying and, and, and on God uh, and having united vision. Now, they didn't know all that was going to look like. They had no idea what the church was going to look like. But they were united in this one thing. We want God to be God, and we want Him to use us to carry out His will on earth as it is in heaven. They were united around that. And when you get people who obey God, people who trust God, people who pray before God, and people who are united, you get a fifth thing. And the fifth thing is this. It says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, glossolalia in Greek, uh, as the Spirit gave them utterance, showing that the, t the Tower of Babel was being brought down. It says that the entire room was filled with a sound of a rushing mighty wind, and there was like fire on top of each one of their heads. God showed up, and when God showed up, He showed up with signs and wonders and supernatural stuff, praise God. The principle we've got to learn here is this. Uh, when, when we do our part, God shows up. And when God shows up, now God gives the increase. Our job is just to do our part and to trust that God will give the increase. And not to worry about what that increase might look like, what it might not look like, but just to worry about doing our part. To obey, to believe, to trust, 
to pray, to be united, to be in community, and then say, God, have your way. God, have your way. Lord, take over this place. Lord, be sovereign in this place. Do what you will in us, and do what you will through us. And the Bible says that 3,000 people that very day were added to the church. Peter stood up and did his laboring job, and that was to preach. And because God was there, there was fertile ground. And because it was fertile ground, 3,000 people got saved on that first day. And there wasn't anybody around saying, oh, what good programs we have. Oh, what nice five steps to achievement have we found. Uh, you know, they were doing that. What they were saying is what every church should be saying, and that is glory to God. Glory to God. Jesus Christ gets all the glory. Jesus Christ gets all the credit. Amen? Why? Because He's the only one who could do what He just did. He gave the increase. Praise God. Now, you want to see God move? It's about us having, letting God be God and us just putting ourselves in the position where we pray, we're obedient, we worry about one thing and one thing only, and that is, are we laboring before the Lord? Jesus says, I will build my church. The pastor's not going to build it. Peter's not going to build it. Paul's not going to build it. Norm's not going to build it. The church, if the church is really the church, is built by Jesus Christ. And we just plant, we just water, we just do what God tells us to do, but He builds it. If we want to see an increase, and we've got to want to see an increase. An increase in people maturing before God. An increase in children coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. An increase in kids getting off the street. An increase in marriages being healed. If we want to see an increase, an increase in souls getting saved. An increased intensity of the Holy Spirit in our services. If we want to see an increase, it's not going to happen because we've got a good plan and we're working really hard and we're achieving our numbers. It's going to happen because of one thing and one thing alone, and that is because the Holy Spirit is present in our midst. Praise God. Amen. The Holy Spirit is present. And only He can do what only He can do. And that is to give the increase. And the third thing that happens when you start getting a worldly criteria of success is this. When you get a worldly criteria of success, that it's about what you produce, one of two things happen. You either, A, get indicted because you didn't produce it, or B, get proud because you did produce it. Either way, you lose. Yeah, you get a worldly criteria of success, you either get indicted or you get proud. What frequently happens is that, you know, churches, they have a, their target goal. And they don't get it and they feel bad about themselves. And even though God is using them in other areas, they never really benefit from that because they're too busy looking at the criteria that they missed. Or they, they get their criteria and then they start to coast. Then they start to relax. Then they become the church of Laodicea. Uh, now they've arrived. What happens so frequently is the church starts off. They've got nothing to lose, so they give everything. They're willing to try anything. They're, they're, they're radical. They, a church starts off with this, this, this kind of radical edge. And, and they're open to God. They don't have it all together. And then they start to grow. And God give, begins to give the increase. And they begin to look at that increase, which they should never do, but they begin to look at it. And what sometimes happens is then they get to the point where they think, oh, now we've arrived. And their whole mentality changes. They stop being radical. They start being safe. Worst thing that can ever happen to a church is that it starts to be safe. There's nothing safe about Jesus Christ, and there's nothing safe about His kingdom. And what I mean by that is finding security in the way that you do things. They start to be safe. They start to be guarded. Make sure that we're right in the middle. Make sure that we're not too far that way, you know. Make sure that we don't offend anybody, especially that person who's a big giver. Make sure, you know, that our message is not going to step on too many toes. Make sure that, that the music is, is just sort of light and flowery or what have you. And the thing that got them to where they are, they lose in order to try to stay where they are. God doesn't call us to be preservers of the status quo. He calls us to be radical laborers. 
And if our head is on straight, if our head is on straight, we can never, ever get to the point where we say, now we have arrived, ever. We can never get to the point where we say, now we are satisfied. Ah, now we got to just, now our job is to become managers and just maintainers. God doesn't want managers and maintainers of what is. He's always future-oriented, and he's always looking for radical soldiers who are willing to do one more radical thing as they walk in obedience and passionate laboring before him. Amen? The thing that got a church there, they lose because they start being protectionists. God calls us to radical obedience before him, not to be preserving of a certain amount of numbers that we think we have. If we understand success strictly as labor, note this, you never get to the point where you've arrived. Because there's always more labor to do. The nice thing about the business I'm in and business of, of, of church, if I can refer to it like that, is there's always enough sinners to go around. You never use up the market. You know, uh, it's, uh, it, it, there's always more to do. Hey, you know, and, and, and that's why it's so silly when churches feel like they've they got to compete or something. No, there's plenty to go around here, folks. This is one commodity, that, this is one market that will never dry up. You see, there's always more to do. And saints of God, here's the thing. We've got to. If you understand that your success is not about what you produce, but about what your labor is, then it's so important that you always stay hungry, that you never get satisfied. You can be full of God and at peace and, and, and have that joy, and you're satisfied in that sense. But be, precisely because you have that, there's got to be inside of you constantly rekindled a hunger to do more, a hunger to see more, a hunger to grow more. More, God, has got to be our prayer. We want to see more of you, Lord. We want to see more kids brought off the street. Thank God for what you've done so far. But we want to see more. We need to be greedy for the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? Greedy for the things of God. Just craving the things of God. I'm not satisfied with what has been. Because I'm not looking at the numbers. There's more labor that needs to be done. There's more kids that need to be taught. Uh, There's more souls that need to be saved. There's more marriages that need to be healed. There's more minds that need to be freed, praise God. There's more spirits that need to be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's always, always, always more of God to experience than we've ever even begun to experience. Amen? We need to be crying out, we want more, Lord. More, Lord. There is no cruise control on this automobile called the kingdom of God. It doesn't exist. There's only one speed, and that's pedal to the floor. Kind of, you know, just, just, just going, amen. That, that's the one speed that, that the Lord calls us to drive at. More of you, Lord God. I want to see more of your presence, more of your, your signs and wonders. You know, Peggy, last night, or last Sunday night, on a Sunday night service, it was so powerful. She preached was one of the most annoying services I've ever, I've ever heard. It was just, if some of you were there, it was, and she was just in this, almost like this pain, this laboring pain, as she was crying out for God to, 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 to see more. We had 75 people there. It didn't matter whether we had 75 or 7 or 7 million, because her passion is engaged by who's listening. Her passion is caused by who's giving the message to give. You see what I'm saying? And so she preached this thing, and God showed up. I mean, there was a power there. God always fills the vacuum if we have a vacuum in our heart, if we have a hunger in our heart, if we're not satisfied with what is, if we don't coast. God always fills the vacuum as He did on the day of Pentecost. And so God just came down, and it was powerful, And for a lot of you, it would have been strange, but it would be good for you to see the strangeness. It's the kind of strangeness you saw on the day of Pentecost. We had 12 people, 12 out of 75, that's about one out of five, for the first time in their life. Power of God came down, 
Twelve of them began to speak in tongues for the first time in their life. Never had that happen before. Amen. And that's not like a, oh, cool, now you've arrived. You know, now you're more spiritual. Now you're filled. No, there's no shibboleth. There's no, like, criteria, you know, for speaking in tongues. But it's just great to see God do supernatural stuff. I was praying with one of the guys, and he was afraid. He's like, I, I just don't think I can do this. Next thing I know, he falls over, he's on the floor, and he's praising God with his incredible joy in a different language. And it was just like, you go, God. You go, God. That is so neat when you do that. You know, and I'm not fixated on the supernatural. I'm just saying, you know what, I, I want to see people get healed. I really do. I want, to see, I want to see Book of Acts healing. I want to see Book of Acts power coming down. I want to see Book of Acts transformation. I thank God for what he's done so far. I, I, I'm not disappointed. No, I'm not even looking at that, you see. I just, all I know is one thing. The floor's got to be, the foot's got to be, the pedal's got to be to the, pe- to the floor. I'm starting to speak in tongues. The pedal's got to be to the floor. And uh, there's always more that needs to be done. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Are you hungry? And you can't make yourself hungry. You can't try hard on this. But what we can do is say, God, will you make me hungry? Thank you for your fullness. I also want to be hungry for you. And to create this incredible vacuum here saying, Lord, we need you. We don't need him to get big. You know that? No, he could do that. But we need him to do anything that's of kingdom value. Whether it's small or big, we need the Lord. Worship team, would you come up here? I want to just end with this one other application of this. I bet there are some people here today, I know there are some people here today who have been slimed in this way. You've heard and I've heard one too many messages that said something like this. How many souls have you saved today? How many people did you bring to the Lord this week? And so you got some person who's got the gift of evangelism, he says, oh, that'd be 12 people. Yes, thank you. And then the other, you know, somebody else over here who doesn't have that gift, who's never really had an opportunity to lead anyone to the Lord, and they're feeling like I'm such a loser Christian. But see, that is the wrong, wrong question to ask. For two reasons. Number one, you're focusing on the productivity, which is God's business. Only God saves anybody. Don't ask how many people did you save. You didn't save anybody. You never will either. Jesus is the one who saves them all. So give him the glory. He's the, he's the one involved in productivity. Amen? And the other thing, the other thing is, is this. You don't have to be focused on results at all. It's just so narrow. Focus on the labor. We had 12 people last Saturday who labored before the Lord, raking leaves in neighbors' yards. Went out there, just a random act of kindness. That's laboring before God. Another bunch of people went down to the dwelling place, which is a home for battered children, for, for battered wives or battered women, and, and they, they help clean it with a Lysol thing. You're, you're Lysoling cabinets for Jesus. That's laboring in the kingdom as much as if you're doing anything. There are people who just spend a lot of time in prayer. That's their main labor. God sees that. Whether anyone else can measure it or not is utterly inconsequential. God sees it, and great is your reward. There are people who work in the children's church or in small groups or in anime and people who are in support anime or support missions or whatever. Everyone's got the role to play. Some people are called to play it in such a way that you can actually measure the results. Or at least you think you can, even though you really can't. But when they do stuff, then, then, then things happen. Most people don't have that. Their labor is behind the scenes. They plant, they water, and by the time the thing starts growing, they're actually moved on to the next field. But you've got to know that God sees all of that. And I would just say, be free. Be free. Be happy in what God calls you to do. And whether anyone notices it or not, God notices, and that's the only one that matters. And so now we're going to worship the God who gives the increase. Praise God. And know this. 
Worship is about turning all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your attention to the Lord. I especially want to encourage you in the what we call the cheap seats, the, the back row, the, 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 the $1 seats. Uh, uh, that just means you're farther away. There's a tendency to feel disengaged. I would encourage you to close your eyes and pretend like you're up here in the front row and really get invested in this because God deserves all the praise in the back of the auditorium and in the front of the auditorium. Amen. That's what it's about. Enter into it. Enter into it. I encourage you to. Even if you're here for the first time, you don't understand what's going on. Picture God. Picture what we're singing about and give him all the praise. As the ushers come forward, we're going to start our, our, our worship service by taking up an offering. And as we do this, I would just remind you of this one story. The widow put in two copper coins, while a lot of rich people put in a lot of money, but God was impressed with those two copper coins. Why? Because it was all she had. God cares about the priority in the heart far more than He cares about what actually comes as a result of that. Make God a priority in your life. Make God a priority in your pocketbook. That's same, one of the same thing. Uh, put Him first, and God will bless you for it. Testimony here. Uh, a person talked to me this last week. Made an appointment just to tell me this. A couple months ago, I think it was, he was in the service. He lives out of his car. He doesn't have a home. He's a homeless person. Lives out of his car. Has been coming to church here for about uh, several months. He had $20 to his name. Uh, didn't know I mean, this is what he had to eat on and this is what he had to drive on, but he felt the Lord told him to put it in the offering. So he did. As he's walking out of the service, a total stranger came up to them and says, I don't know you, and I hope you don't think this is too weird, but the Lord told me to give you $20. And so he got it back within about uh, a half hour. Uh, the Lord sees what you're doing, and seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So, Father, we worship you with our offering. We worship you, Lord, with our bodies. We worship you with our voice, Lord God. We just worship you. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would come down and envelop us as we do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.